Mourners and pipers, enumerate the virtues of the dearly deceased, see if you can wrangle a few conversions out of the crowd, and if we can get him in the ground in the next ten minutes, we can make it to the pub before last call. Oh, thank God. It's time to talk tall to me. I look great in black. I look great in the ground. Welcome back. I'm Omen Said. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Told Me. A boisterous funeral in the graveyard of Prog Rock, in which not-quite-dead Nick and, oh, I'm sure he'll wake up just in a moment, Omen, will shed a tear for every and each track that death-defying rock band Jethro Tull has ever released. We will share a laugh about Batman, argue over who Mother Goose loved more, and fight about Gerald Bostock's will. Strip cartoon to strip cartoon, Dharma to Dharma for one. Let us all remember that we too shall one day go to toot the big flute in the sky. Yep, yep. It is time to realize our humanity and our mortality. And our telocity. We may die doing this. We... <laughs> We're just under halfway through now. I mean, this is episode 150, Omen. Can yeah. you believe that? This is episode 150? Yeah. I That is factual, and therefore I will believe it, but wow. Yeah. It's all downhill from here. I mean, we're going into A and under wraps. So. Hey, now. <laughs> at this point, at this point, I just play this character because I know I'm going to rile so many people about about giving those albums guff. Sure. Looking sure. at you, Doc Savage. You're a what we call a um. What's the word in Greek? Uh, a troll. A dick. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of. Yes. Before we dive into, we've we've actually we've we're so today we're covering the two instrumentals. Yeah, this is our double feature episode of the album. But they're kind of they're kind of packed, so we're not gonna we're not gonna fart around too much here. But there are a couple of things I do want to bring up really quickly. Please bring them up. First of all. Completely shameless plug. My roommate in college, his band just dropped their first album today. What? King Whisker just dropped their first album. It's a wacky name because they are wacky people. It's a lot of fun. It's got like a Frank Zappa, a Ludo sound to it. I highly recommend it. I put a link to their band camp in the show notes. Please go check them out. You can listen to them on Spotify as well. King Whisker. Two words. King Whisker. Nice. Second of all, in the Discord today, October 29th, we were, a group of us were discussing music and, and music recommendations because what brought it up was our, the Vernacular Verbose crossover episode. Right. We talked about music that, other music that we liked. So a lot of us gave various suggestions and whatnot. And Joe, J-Man CeeLo, our resident minstrel, says, yes. I'll definitely check stuff out when I get the chance. Probably not this weekend, though, since I'm sharing a hotel room with the missus. We're getting married tomorrow. <gasps> what? Yeah. Happy wedding time. Happy, happy nuptials, J-Man. Felicitations. Yeah, how wonderful. I mean, it'll be, it'll be over a month old at this point. Hopefully you're listening to this episode on your honeymoon. Weird that our invitations got lost in the mail, but you know, these things happen. Probably Mary or Marley misplaced them. I I would not. I You know what? They probably took them. So They're Joe, probably if, there right now. If you Watch see them out. there, yeah, be careful. Be careful. Sorry about all the linens. <laughs> That's fantastic. Many congratulations. Yeah, um, Aguri. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Nick, before we dive into the music, anything else to add? Not a thing. That's it. That wow. is it. Yeah. So today we have Warm Sporin or Sporan. Warm Sporin. Neosporin. Let me see if I can get the pronunciation because you keep insisting that it could be Sporan. No, I thought that you were insisting that it was Sporan. I've never once said Sporan. <laughs> So... I keep trying to get you to say Sporin. <laughs> All right. Well, wait, let's wait, have wait, a wait, listen. Wait. Sporin. There we go. Okay, great. 
Sparin. Okay, good. I think we got it. We're going to listen to Warm. Sparin. And then we'll move on to... Sparin. And then Elegy. <laughs> so Warm Sporin, first of all, its working title was the Jethro Jig. It oh. was recorded on the 17th of June, 1979. Again, one of the later ones. It was designed to be a sort of, quote, military funk. And apparently recording the Scottish pipes was such a pain because it's really, it's impossible to get them to keep the same pitch. So, yeah. so everything works together. So they apparently varied the speed of the recording to get it to match the pitch that they needed at at various times. Wow. Also, our bonkers? economy has been in a military funk for about 30 years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, they need to vary the speed on that. They do. With all of those fine details, Nick, which are yes. beautiful and exciting, let's have a listen. Let us. Nick. Woo! Open. Can I tell you something? Please do. One of my favorite things about doing this podcast is getting to really listen critically to each of these songs in a focused way. You know, I've heard that song so many times, and I don't know that I've ever, until now, truly appreciated the bass line for what it is. Yep. I mean, there's so many elements. It's great. It's so lovely. It's a really good song. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. Just being able to kind of close our eyes and sink into the song and really, really pay attention. You know, it's a, it, it makes a heck of a difference. And, and this is, there's a, there, there are a handful of Tull songs. And I think I've mentioned this earlier that like, until, until having like really sat down to focus on it, you, you listen to it. And it's like, hey, it's, a, it's a good song, but it kind of always just kind of goes into the background when you listen to it. But right. when you, when you can sit and, and look at the layers that Ian has, has very strategically stacked it's it's so much more effective of a song and it makes me appreciate it so much more. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk, before we talk musically, uh-huh. let us Lyrics. talk about what is, oh. <laughs> let's talk about what is a sporin. Let us, yeah. I've got the Wikipedia open in front of me. I'm sure you have. So <laughs> a sporin as probably... A lot of our listeners know uh-huh. is a leather pouch, traditional for Scottish wear, that sits afront the person. It hangs below the belt in the front, and it has a, a kind of a unique round shape. It is uh, it is Scottish, Gaelic, and Irish for purse. Right, That's what sporin means, yeah. And you know, I I did a little research and and came to the conclusion that no one really knows how it originated, but the, you know, all of them pointed to the fact that the, it, it came into being around the same time that the, the great kilt came into Mm. being, which of course wasn't a formed garment. It was just a, you know, a two meter by three meter piece of cloth or however long the dimensions were supposed to be. It was just a big piece of square wool, rectangular wool that you would wrap around yourself and then belt and fasten with some external pieces. Thus, it didn't have any pockets. That's it. And so it necessitated some kind of carrying system. And so the sporin acts as a as a pocket, as a purse, just as just as the name says. Some one writer suggested that it might have sometimes been filled with dried oats to stave off hunger for long journeys. <laughs> but I suppose you could just put anything that you wanted in it. Right. One museum piece sporin was discovered to contain four small pistols rigged in such a way so that if you opened the sporin in the wrong way they would discharge killing or maiming whoever was trying to get into your sporin without your permission that's allegorical and amazing yes (laughs) and then and then of course over the years it became associated with uh, scottish formal and military dress and there are various levels of formality in the sporin some of them have horsehair hanging down from them some of them have skins there's something called mm. a, a full mask sporin which has the yeah. entire head of an animal uh, on it and the longer they are the more formal and and military and and exciting they are 
Yeah, I can't. I can't get over the full mask sporin. It's the it's the head of an animal such as a badger, an otter, a fox, a kangaroo mouse, or a pine marten, or other small animals. The animal's head typically forms the front flap of the pouch, and the body of the pouch is made from the same pelt. Yeah, it's a it's a full mammal between your legs. I mean, yeah, wow. that's what they say. It's very Lost Boys to me. Yes, yeah, sure. You know, like like animal pelts, various animal pelts, and. Another function of the sporn, as 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 the kilt evolved into the the I don't know what they call it the mini the mini the mini kilt the the modern kilt where rather than being across the whole body it's just across it just hangs on the waist and it's a smaller piece of fabric. Oh sure, yeah. The sporin helps to as a paperweight, as it were, to keep the fabric in the front from blowing up and exposing oh, yeah. yourself. Yeah, having a little um, Marilyn Monroe moment there, yeah. Exposing your Pine Martin. Ooh. Your can- oh, not my kangaroo <laughs> mouse, come on. <laughs> it's got babies. <laughs> so that's a little bit about the Sporin. Uh, so probably a lot of our listeners have worn them. I certainly have I have worn a Sporin when I was ring bearer in a Scottish wedding. Hmm. So I, I, think, I think thinking about the Sporin and thinking about its geographic location on the body... Having a warm sporin, yeah. When you are marching through the cold, the cold islands of 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 Scotland, having a warm sporin is like a blessing. You know, it sounds like a blessing. May all your sporins be warm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you think you so it's some, you think you maybe you put your hand warmer in there and it keeps your bits nice and nice and nice and cozy. Well, I'm I'm thinking in in terms of of ancient times when sporin were were worn for for actual like military marches sure. and things. Not in terms of recreation, but as a, as a practical item, just just maybe you put like a couple of warm stones or something in there, you know? <laughs> yeah, or, or close by. Warm stones to warm your stones. Yeah. Well, I know that, you know, historically it has been used militarily to carry ammunition and rations. Okay. Yeah. Mine, so my, I had a slightly different interpretation of the phrase warm sporin. Okay. Rather than it being a heating item, I imagined it being a heated item that the the potency of the wearer was such that you know when an animal is in heat their genitalia radiate literally heat you can you know you can put your hand next to the next to a, a dog's genitalia if you're bold when they're in heat and feel the heat radiating off of them have you ever done that nick for fun don't recommend it no okay i'm not so you're saying he the the wearer is producing the heat Therefore, creating the warmth of that sporin. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That th- both of those interpretations and based on who made them, it makes sense. I think it could go either way. I do too. I do too. I just I like I like the idea of of wishing someone luck with a for, with a warm sporin. Basically, I I think that's I like that as well. It's probably completely. Flies in the face of Scottish culture. Oh, I've, I've I've insulted everyone. Yeah, and yet there's a certain there's a certain poetic truthfulness to it. Yeah, yeah, it's just reality, folks. That's all. <laughs> so, shall we get into music? Let's dive in. You know, I may I say some things off the bat. I wish you would. I am so glad that you brought that information to this podcast. It's sort of a new. I'm getting used to that. I love the idea of it being a military funk. My bringing information, is that what you're getting used to? Yeah, that's, what, that's what's so new. Fair enough. Well, either of us bringing information. <laughs> you, you have done the heavy lifting in terms of research up until this point. I love that intro. It is really genuinely funky, and I think the funk comes from the bass. Oh my gosh, Ian Anderson rocking the bass on this one. Doing some, some great, great bass here. I think this is Glasscock, no? No, Elegy. It's Elegy. So wait, this is not? This was not John Glasscock. He did really yep, Orion, Flying Dutchman, Elegy, Crossword, and what's the last one? Um, Kelpie. Yeah. Yeah, it's awfully funky for Ian. It's great. That blows my mind. Yeah. It warrants a, a blown mind. And it stays funky throughout. It really, the bass provides the, mm-hmm. the backbone of this song all the way throughout it it kind of sets i don't know what you would call that musically but it it sets this rhythm this constant repeating distinct rhythm 
that provides a place from which we can contrast all of the other rhythms, elements, instruments, etc. Would you call that an ostinato, maybe? I might. I might. If if I wouldn't say it too loudly. If if J Man gave you like a nod of approval from the corner of the room, that's right. You'd, you'd be like, okay, okay, I can that's comfortably right. say this now. After a couple of drinks, I'd call it an ostinato. <laughs> I call anything an ostinato if you put enough booze <laughs> in me. But it really it goes it goes throughout, and sometimes. Uh, we talked a lot, we have talked a lot in the past, Nick, about layers with Tull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when we were in the days of Too Old to Rock and Roll, we talked a lot about how one instrument would come in and then another and then another and then another and it would slowly layer up. Yeah, right. This is a little bit different. There are lots of different layers in this song, but sometimes one of them will get pulled away. Yeah. Revealing some of the layers underneath that you get reminded of and it sort of is like, oh, yeah. That bass and drum is still there. Sometimes everything disappears but the drum, and you just that, get that kind of... Yep. Yeah, The in terms of it being a military funk, the military comes from Barry with the drums, and the funk comes from Ian on the bass. Everything else is just incidental. <laughs> it, like, it adds to it, but in terms of military funk, those are what define this song as a military funk. Definitely. I, I would add to that a little bit. I think that sometimes the drum goes to the funk. I think that sometimes the the drum brings the funk. It dips its toes in the funk. It gets a little fu- it gets a little funky. Yeah. I'll, and, give, I'll give you that. And the other military elements are for me of course the the pipes. Oh yeah. That last but but they're coming around with just about a minute left. Those pipes come in, yeah. The Highland pipes and the flute. The flute mm. and the drums combine almost in imitation of a fife and drum. Yeah. Vibe. And of course, you know, the fife and drum combination and the Highland pipes were used as military communication devices to broadcast orders across the field in the days before the wireless radio, etc. Right, right. You couldn't just yell because everybody was yelling. Because everybody was yelling. You needed something distinct and coded. Yeah. Yeah, everybody um, shut up. Right. We're but going it, over here now. Everybody fight now. Wait, hold on. <laughs> hold Don't on. fight yet. Steven's tying his shoes. <laughs> but it goes back to Swinson and the Art of War mm. saying, you know, how to manage a large army. You have to have... You have to have things that can be heard from a distance and things that can be seen from a distance. And so that's how... That's why we have all these military musical formats and flags, mm-hmm. as they are they're used to broadcast and communicate across distances. Right. Yeah. We've got the drums. We got some awesome like echoey mandolin. As it, like when the mandolin first comes in, it's super echoey and and it's it's not just the tremolo. Like there's echo to it too, and it, it kind of fades yeah. in. It's really cool. The flute comes in after that. The the echoey layered voice after that. Really mm-hmm. awesome. I think eventually we get two mandolins. I think it's a it's a doubled up track. But Martin is credited with the mandolin on this album. Ian is not. Well, we know that. Martin plays the mandolin. We know that because of this song, the bonus track that we covered a while ago, where Ian keeps messing up and swearing. Oh, yes. What was that? That was... It was so funny. I love that one. That must have been... Quatrain. It was Quatrain. Quatrain, yes. Yeah. That's so, a good one. totally plausible. Absolutely. You don't really yeah. need the uh, the electric guitar in this. The mandolin no. is, is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. The I, I just... I, I just default to thinking about Ian being mandolin. And yeah. and that's on me and I take responsibility for that and I need to get better. That's a about big that. step for you, Dick. Thank you. <laughs> what I love about the mandolin, the relationship between the mandolin and the flute is that when the flute first comes in, it's pretty much backed by the mandolin. They're yeah. they're pretty much playing in unison or close to in unison. 
And then when that voice comes in, the sort of humming voice, mm-hmm. almost you imagine the soldiers humming off to war. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Then they they depart and you have the the flute making a statement and then the mandolin echoing that a second later, playing counterpoint, providing some harmony. It's delightful. But before that, we have the mandolin on harmonics. A harmonic is, wow, I don't know how to explain it, but a harmonic is, uh, like, I don't know the science behind it, but basically, if you have a string of a certain length and you pluck that string, it'll make a tone. Yes. If you rest your finger, so and then, okay, if you press it down to the fret, it'll raise the tone. But there is a way to make it vibrate in a different way. So rather than vibrating along the entire thing, it will, you can make it vibrate in two sections separately at the same time. So if you put your finger lightly at the very middle of the string Mm -hmm. and then pluck it while you release your finger, you're not fretting it. Right. You just are kissing it with your finger when you pluck it. It will interrupt the vibrations and make it each half of it vibrate independently while overlapping. So it's like weird strings theory stuff, but it's, it's that sound that you hear in the very beginning where it's, not not like physics string theory, but like musical string theory. I, I don't know. It could. It might be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it produces that that ethereal, very high, tender sound that we hear early on. Yeah, and so maybe maybe saying that maybe there aren't two mandolins. Maybe that's just what I heard. Maybe it's it's possible. And on top of that, the fact that that's Martin playing mandolin. That's that that shows us how how good of a player on mandolin Martin is because I can't imagine that's a like a rudimentary technique. I wouldn't say it's super rudimentary, and I think that on the mandolin it's harder than on the guitar. Yeah, because everything's smaller. He just continues to impress. Well, Martin was a small guy. Is a small guy, isn't he? Isn't he kind of short? I don't think. I think he's about the same size as Ian, isn't he? He's. They're both bigger than a mandolin. <laughs> Thank God we cleared that up. <laughs> I I think it's in four four as it as makes sense for a military okay, style. Sure, got to uh, be endeavor. Got to be easy to march to. Yep, can never forget when that whole battalion got lost trying to march in five four time. They were they were listening to uh, "Life's a Long Song." Is that a five yeah. four? Yeah, they were they were playing "Life's a Long Song." Yeah, we get in a wonderful flute breakdown, mm. kind of halfway two-thirds the way through the song where we hear that where it's paired up with some reverb or some echo i don't even need to put the clip in now and shortly after that is where we get right after that big breakdown is where we get some of the instruments pulled back where we're and we can appreciate mm. the drum and the bass again. Yeah, yeah. It, it, they they pull back and it brings us back to. I don't want to say the beginning sound, but it kind of it kind of kind of culminates and and it starts over in terms of of pulling back to kind of the quieter sets the sets the foundation again and they they build they they build up once more. Yeah, and then we have a fade out at the end as if the as if the funky army is. Just marching slowly away. They just marched over the hill and you can't hear them anymore. Yeah. I think that's a good place to move on to our next song. So we're moving on to Elegy now. Some info on Elegy was recorded May of 79. Ian refers to this as Dee's finest hour. It is something that Ian admits that he could never have written. Dee wrote it in memory of her father, and it took her roughly an hour to write when she was told that her father had died. Whoa. Yeah. Yes. That aside, there's a backstory to... This song, 
which is like the seeds of this song, it was incorporated into something called The Water's Edge. Which, what is that? Which I'll, I'll get into. But, but uh, a little more of, of Elegy itself, uh, it was based on the ancient plain song, Dies Aria, Day of Wrath from the Proper of the Mass. Uh, it's been used as a musical theme or quotation in many compositions, including Mozart's Requiem, Berlioz's Symphonie Fantastique, and Liszt's Totentanz. And D elongated that theme and put it in a major key to make it more haunting here. Interesting. So to get into the water's edge. So in the downtime between the tour and going back into the studio, so must have been early 79, the Scottish ballet, whose general administrator was Ian's older brother, Robin. Yes, yes. Commissioned Ian to write three contemporary pieces for the ballet work called Underground Rumors. Oh. Ian enlisted Martin and Dee, and they conceived The Water's Edge. I'm sure Ian leaped at the chance to compose for some ballet dancers. You know it. Something leaped. <laughs> Sporan shot across the room. Pew! Took out a small <laughs> child. John Anderson, no relation from the band Yes, wrote the song Ursprung or the, the piece, Ersprung, and Such Sweet Thunder used the music of Duke Ellington. So The Water's Edge is the story of the Kelpie. A young girl is seduced by the mythical water horse. It's a bit like Swan Lake. Yeah. A quote from Ian about being seduced by a, a water horse. Oh. Hopefully she's remembered to have a good scrub up in the bath or shower afterwards, because I always think that these things sound fine in principle, but that actually romantic attachments to creatures that crawl out of the water, whether they be swans or kelpies, are a little unhygienic. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Ian. So from this overall piece of The Water's Edge, we actually hear sounds like the kind of the seeds of Elegy, Kelpie, and Dark Ages. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I've actually got a YouTube video that I have put it, I've, I've linked to it in the show notes, so you, you can hear it. It's 32 minutes. It's a terrible recording. It's like super, super scratchy. Opening night, March 7th, 1979, Scottish Ballet, Glasgow, The Water's Edge, Written by Ian Anderson, David Palmer, and Martin Barr. Wow. That's really, really cool. Do you want to hear a little snippet of it? I do. That's fantastic. What what a cool project. And I wonder if it's ever still performed. That would be a fantastic thing to see. I don't think so. If I remember correctly from what I read, it's it, there's it didn't live much beyond that. But that being said, the tune of Elegy has lived beyond the recording of Stormwatch because D Palmer's most recent album, which dropped, I think, just last year, Through Darkened Glass, has a piece called Through a Piece of Darkened Glass, and it sounds pretty darn familiar. I saw it all before my eyes Through that piece of darkened Wow. That is Miss D. Palmer herself singing. Oh my goodness. What a beautiful sound. I, How lovely. I want to go listen to that album now. Yeah, it's 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 pretty good. It's pretty nice. It's very it's very proggy conceptual. I, I do enjoy listening to it. It's nice. So Nick, that is all such fascinating and useful and contextualizing information. I just wanted to briefly discuss the word elegy itself. Oh sure. Yeah. 
We'll do that and then we'll get into the actual song. Yeah. Yes. It comes from ancient Greek, mm-hmm. elegos or lament. Yes. And originally referred to uh, any verse written in an ele- elegiac couplet. Elegiac. Elegiac couplet. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And and it could cover anything from war to love to death. And only only since the sixth the sixteenth century has it taken on the meaning of specifically being about the loss of a dead person. Mm, okay. You know, previous to that it could it could refer to any kind of sense of loss or any kind of sense of longing or mourning. But it's an ancient, ancient, ancient word and concept and human need, I think, to to honor the to honor things past. To express a loss, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it is significant that obviously this was inspired by the death of Dee's father, but I think it's significant that this was the last bout of recording and writing that Dee did with Tull. Yeah. And so perhaps not for her or for the band, but certainly for me as a listener and probably for a number of people, I associate it with the the uh, an elegy for this form of the band itself yeah. for for Dee's work with the band for certainly for John Glasscock right for whom this was one of the only tracks that he played on this album there's a lot going on yeah how it all kind of aligned conveniently i guess for lack of a better term it 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 really fits it's really poignant it's one of those special moments that where it's not intentional but it it it's poetic. Yeah. Yeah, the the unintentional poetry is is some of the most beautiful. Yeah. So with that, shall we have a listen? Let's listen to this intentional poetry. Another military funk for you. <laughs> I I have I have feelings that rendered me feeling. That rendered me feeling. I I I challenge anyone to not feel after having yeah. while listening to this song. It's um it's a feel heavy song. Heavy feeling. Heavy feeling. It's hard to even make jokes about. It is. I mean, we'll do it, but we won't. I was, they're bad. They're going to be our bad. Heart, our, our hearts won't be in it. <laughs> My well, goodness. Let's, yeah. Let, let's talk musically. We have the guitar starting us out mm-hmm. in a very, very simple walking down pattern. Dum, 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 dum. Almost the scale. Then either the an an organ or maybe a harp. Is it is it in? a harp? I asked you. I don't think you heard me. I was like, is that a harp? I can't tell. I don't think it sounds quite like a harp. And if it was a harp, then my question is, why wouldn't it be in more of the song? Could a guitar make that sound? I don't think it's a guitar. I think I think. My best bet is that it is the organ on a harp setting. It didn't sound manufactured to me, though. It's mysterious. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it is. It is. I wonder I wonder if we can find more documentation on that. So, yeah, we, we've got the acoustic, the, the mystery plucking, whatever that may be. The strings. Yes. Oh, come gosh. In, come in pretty, pretty hard and fast on this one. And... They don't let up. They don't. They are so mournful and they just, they, they weave in and out and, and they, they, they tie my heart in knots. They're so pretty. 
this is I we've talked about this a long time ago. This is the ultimate song that's that that Windows Media Player where it's just like the visualization of the colors like <laughs> Yes, I remember <laughs> that from college. Definitely a Windows Media Player song. Pirate that software from 20 years ago and play this on it. <laughs> There's something fascinating about Martin's role in this because he is on electric guitar. Yes. Uh-huh. It's a distinct sound, but it's almost taking the role of first violin. I mean, this song has a very classical feel to it. It's clearly rooted in that church music that you were discussing and yeah, and has relation to all the things, all the composers that you were mentioning. Was it Bach, Beethoven? Let's see. It was Mozart, Liszt, and Berlioz. Oh, Berlioz. Berlioz. So yeah. neither Bach nor Beethoven. Not none of them. But Martin sort of does play that that first violin role. But there's this amazing thing where he'll crest up into your into your ear consciousness, and then it's like the sea of strings overwhelms him. It's like a it's like a ship fighting the waves in the distance. You lose it sometimes, and it comes back up, and then yeah. it's like that speech in Twelfth Night where. The captain is describing Sebastian being lost at sea to to Viola. Do mm. you know the one I'm talking about? No, I don't know Twelfth Night. You want cultured swine? Let me look it up. Yeah, it's there is that weaving, and you never know if it's coming back. And the the bulk of the strings stick together, so they're this composite of of string sound. But in conjunction with Martin's guitar going up, there is the cello playing with Martin at all times. It's very difficult to hear most of the time, but every now and then you get it to sweep up with Martin or or go in counterpoint. It goes down while Martin goes up and, and uh, you know, D's strings are only superseded by D's cello in my heart. So, yes, w- woof. True, madam, and to comfort you with chance, assure yourself after our ship did split when you and those poor numbers saved with you hung on our driving boat, I saw your brother, most provident in peril, bind himself, courage and hope, both teaching him the patience to a strong mast that lived upon the sea, where like Arion on the dolphin's back, I saw him hold acquaintance with the waves so long as I could see." Yeah, I should have should have played elegy under that. <laughs> but it 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 has that sense of like hope and loss and hope and loss coming and coming and going. Yeah. This reminds me of a couple of things. But before I talk about those, mm-hmm. I want to observe that this being one of the final times that we hear John Glasscock on the album itself. Yeah. I maybe I'm reading too much into this. Maybe this was just the assignment, but I do get the the sensation, especially coming off of Ian's bass in the previous track, that there's a a feebleness there. Yeah. And it's a very simple bass line that he's playing. And this isn't even the last song that they recorded. Right. But there is something there. That being said, even though there is a feebleness there, there's such he still brings life to his bass playing that I don't think Ian ever manages ian's a good bass player but he doesn't manage to Mm. to manifest like this even though this is slow and and anemic almost there there's There's depth to it oh my gosh there's life in his bass yeah that's a really really good observation ian is ian is very good with the the military funk yeah flashiness yeah but maybe but, but maybe it does lack a certain emotional depth yeah the so the things that this remind me of are on Rupee's Dance, okay, we have Griminilli's R- Lament. Oh, okay. Do you remember that? I listened to that album literally just yesterday. I don't remember that oh. one, though. That one doesn't... I, like, Two Short Planks always sticks in my head. Caliandra Shade. I don't remember that one off the top of my head. <laughs>
So, of course, Griminelli was a famous Italian flautist who ah. passed away, and this was Ian's lament, his elegy, in a way. Sure. To the passing of that great flautist. And in this, in that track, it's double flout. It's double fluted. <laughs> du- double flout. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I remember there was a funny story about how Ian had initially thought of he had initially thought of this famous flautist to ask to play the other part, and then he thought of this other one, and then he decided that he didn't want to offend either of them, so he would just play both parts himself. Just <laughs> <laughs> a very Ian thing to do, sure, but it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's one of my favorite Ian Anderson pieces of music. It is lo- is very very lovely. Yeah, and the double flute in in this in elegy the the double flaute if you will double flaute it kind of reminds me of like it has that same energy to it it's very yeah you know what the emotional depth that ian lacks on the bass he he makes up for with the flute it's very similar for some reason, I always thought this was on the Christmas album, probably because I got the Christmas album and Rupee's Dance at the exact same, the same time, time and yeah. listened to them both regularly. So, yeah, that's that's beautiful. And that that is a, a an amazing companion piece to Elegy, I would say. The other thing that this makes me think of, because the tune itself, the tune of Elegy is incredibly simple. Yeah, yeah. And it takes, I, I take someone with the audacity and genius of Dee Palmer to take such a simple tune and make such an extraordinary piece out of yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But really the tune is and then the other bit. Yeah. Yeah. But she remember she stretched it out. She slowed it down, stretched it out and put it into a, a, a major key to make it more, sorrowful right what it makes me think of is ravel's bolero mm, I you know love that bolero piece? too yeah i do love bolero so that's a s- super simple tune it's it's really you know a couple of measures worth of the actual tune but mm-hmm. ravel makes it into a 16 minute piece by yeah. changing the tempo changing the the instruments rephrasing, mm-hmm. putting different combinations of instruments together. And I, there's something a little bit similar to that in this, where you have this incredibly simple pared down core of what it is, but then the musicianship and the com- the composition of it almost, you know, it's like, it's like when you see an atom and then you like blow it up and it's, mm. and it looks like a galaxy. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like that. And the, the purity of it shines through all that complexity and the complexity uh, demonstrates the simplicity of it. I mean, it's really incredible. It's an incredible piece of music. It is. It it truly is. It's it's so beautiful, and and all of that underlying baggage really just makes it that much, much more oh, much more more soul crushing and and lamentable. But it doesn't feel like one of those pieces of music where the writer or one of those pieces of art where the the artist is putting their baggage on you. No, no, absolutely not. We know the backstory, so that that makes it more potent in a way. But but listening to it naive, I suppose, makes it it's still it's you don't you don't get the the depth to it, but you can still appreciate the sorrow that was was put into it, wherever the sorrow came from. Right. And I think that it is so open and so well composed that it almost invites you to put your baggage onto it. It, it almost sure. is saying, here is a safe space for you to feel whatever it is you need to feel. Y- universal commiseration. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a gorgeous piece. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dee Palmer. Dee Palmer, knocking it out left and right. What is her most recent album called? Through Darkened Glass. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I would highly recommend it. I think I, I picked it up early into the pandemic and listen to it and it's 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 kind of concepty it's it's like i said it's concepty it's proggy it's it's definitely good i recommend everybody grab it i'm not entirely sure it's on spotify to be honest you may have to get it from her site but it, it's it's worth it for any any listeners who who like tall and like these these orchestrations yeah i don't see it on spotify so i don't yeah. know what i'm going to listen to in the bath tonight 
<laughs> I wouldn't listen to Elegy. That would not end well. No. Yeek. Nick, anything else to say about Elegy or a boy? A, a beaut. Anything else to say about Elegy or about Warm Sporin? I have nothing more to add. I think we I think we did a good good coverage on these. Omen, do you remember what we are discussing next week? Nick, every week you ask me this, and I never know. That's true. It's always a surprise to me. It's a real crapshoot this time, because remember, we're going into the holiday season. We're going to do some stuff off of the Christmas album. Oh, so we're actually taking a step away from Stormwatch. We are, yeah. For the Yuletide festivities. We need, after that humdinger of a song, we need to break off and... Uh, and cheer up a little bit we've got another double instrumentation another double instrumental coming up next week we are doing tracks two and five off of the christmas album it's holly Harold and god rest ye merry gentlemen and if that doesn't warm your sporin i don't know what will little uh little spiced spiced cider little mulled wine right in the sporin that'll that'll warm you right up <laughs> that's what i always keep in there <laughs> Until next week, what would keep our sporins warm is five fiery stars that we can keep in there, that we'll keep our hands warm, put them down in our sporin and feel those stars, play with our stars a little bit. You'll go blind. Don't. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Colonel. I was just, uh, warming my hands. I'm just readjusting my sporin, sir. We are still under halfway to being done. So there is no need for an elegy. Give us the the energy and the joy to get through the rest of these albums by subscribing to our Patreon. $5 gets you the Discord, gets you the bonus podcasts, and gets you a warm feeling in your heart or your sporin. You can choose one. You can choose one. If you want to give us $10 a month, you can get a warm feeling in both places. <laughs> We should make, we should have Talk Tall to Me branded sporins and kilts. Yep. I'm on to it. That's coming. That's coming next month. Next month, look out for it. Tamashanter hats, uh, sporins. Yeah, I like it. Cod pieces. Yeah. <laughs> Until next week, I am the emergency sporin oats that you rely on for your long journeys, Omen Said. I'm the, the pitchy pipes, Nick McGill. Together we are the secret underkilt Dirk used for <laughs> rough situations, feckless moms. And this is the not-so-secret overkilt Dirk used for every other occasion. Talk told me. All right, all right, everyone, line up, line up. It's time for your daily kilt inspection. Line up. Line up. All right, all right. McDonald, raise your kilt. Raise it. Aye, here it is, Captain. Your knees are dry. Moisturize him. I'm sorry, sir. We do not go into battle with dry knees. How many times do I tell you that? Aye, aye, Captain. Moisturize. Moisturizing away. I'll go to the moisturizing tent right now. All right, go, go, go. Next up, Doherty. Aye. Lift your aye, kilt. It's me. Lift it. Uh, I'm lifting it. Is that your dirt? Aye. It's y- the one my mother gave me. <laughs> she's, she's a woman of fine taste. That needs to be sharpened and polished immediately. Aye, small but fierce. <laughs> Go, get out of my sight, Doherty. <laughs> Cunningham, you're next. Aye, here I be. All right, lift it. Oh, here we go. I oh. know you're like a little show, Captain. <sighs> it, it, oh, it, please, it. not in front <laughs> of the other ones. Oh, oh, dear God. Is that... I know. You You need to get your caber looked at. That's, that's not good. That's not healthy. 
I know, I know. I, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have gone to the house of ill repute in Aberdeen. Go pick up some penicillin with your grog. I'll stump on over there. Finally, Donaldson, over. Yeah. Aye. Lift your kilt, Donaldson. That's my first time. I'm a wee bit nervous. Never showed anyone under the kilt, of course. Uh, Donaldson, you, right. you're in the regiment. You do what the other soldiers do. Lift that kilt. Aye, aye, Captain. All, all, all right. Here you are. <laughs> Good God, Donaldson. Is that a tattoo? Aye, it's a... No one knows where it came from. I was dropped off on the doorstep of the church with this tattooed right on my bits. When I was a wee lad, never told any about it, anyone about it till now. As you can plainly see it, it's the it's the God's own hand in Latin. I believe if it's been a long time since I've translated anything from Latin, but I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. That says, "Talk told me is a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network." You've released the spell. I'm free. Ha, 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 ha.